Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hello, my name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 309. This week, how to make change without breaking your team with strategy consultant and author, Robert Jake Jacobs. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto. Easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. Robert Jake Jacobs, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. It's great to have you here, Jake. Um, let me just introduce you to our audience. Robert Jake Jacobs has worked as an organizational change consultant for the past 35 years. His clients have included the City of New York, American Express, Ford Motor Company, and TJ Maxx. He pioneered the field of large group interventions and has written extensively on the dynamics of change. His most recent book, You Don't Have to Do It Alone, uh, was said to be the best of the crop uh, of books on the topic of involvement by the New York Times. 
Uh, he's joined us today to explore the importance of including people when you need to make changes and how best to do that. So Jake, I introduced you a little bit. I gave you a little bit of background on who you are and what you're doing. Uh, I'd love to start off with your origin story to sort of fill in the, the blanks. Go back to where you discovered your passion for what you do today, what inspired you to start doing what you're doing today, and give us that story of your journey to where you find yourself at this moment. Great, great. Um, well, this all started for me in an interesting place because I had a summer job at an ice cream novelty manufacturing plant. Oh, wow. And we made uh, bomb pops and cheap choco crunches and push-ups and things love, like this. I, I love bomb pops. Called, yeah, yeah, everybody. <laughs> uh, usually if I go on long enough, there's something that every, we made drumsticks too. But yep. uh, I had this job when I was in college and uh, I was in the wrap room. So, you know, these, these boxes would come down and we would put together uh, uh, cardboard around them, push them into a machine, and the wrap would shrink around them, and off they'd go to get shipped across the country. So what I discovered when I was working there was um, there were supervisors who were known as the blue hats, and they had these helmets that they wore. Nobody else got to wear them. Uh, and the, the way that the work was done in that factory led me to ask a lot of questions about why do some organizations work and why do others struggle? And the level of involvement that we had in the wrap room was really quite low. Now we were college kids and you might explain it away, but at the very uh, end of the day, we really an entire summer were never asked if we had any ideas about how things could be done better. Yeah. And so we kind of were told to you know, stay in our place and do the work and, you know, in a sense, not think. And in a lot of organizations on assembly lines, uh, you know, with people with a full-time job, uh, things weren't held and done differently. And so that led me down this quest of figuring out how could people work better together? What ideas do people have about improving the way they do their work? And what does that mean in terms of a business, large or small? I've worked with communities. I've worked with uh, small theaters or other organizations that, that are small. All of them have this same question about how do we get the best out of our people? And how do we, in a sense, I go back to how do we avoid sort of those blue hats making all the calls and everybody else saluting either out of uh, fear or out of necessity. So that's very interesting. That So you discovered that passion for organizational strategy early, early on as a teenager. And so so did you sort of pursue that? Did you, did you recognize that at that moment and pursue that as as a, you know, in school? Yeah. So I knew I knew that um, there was a better way to do things. And I uh, went to the University of Michigan and ended up um, majoring in uh, psychology, organizational psychology. One of the, the best parts about that is that we got to write an honors thesis. They said there are two criteria for your topic. One is you know something about it and you'd like to learn more. So the title of my thesis was Bars in a College Town. <laughs> 
So uh, I attended bar in college and I had the same question. I actually got to do a consulting job at the bar and uh, the criteria, the contracting I did with the owner, he said, you know, just don't screw anything up, Jacobs. And so as long as I didn't screw anything up, I was free to work. And so we came up with some ideas. We implemented some things. So, you know, on a small scale, I opened shop in my consulting firm uh, while I was in college and had the good fortune to join after an internship, a larger consulting firm that was out working in quote, you know, the real world um, with businesses, uh, as I say, large and small. But at the end of the day, all of my work comes back to how do you get people to be able to create their future and work better together, regardless of whether it's one on one or one on many, that same question takes me back to the, the bomb pops and, and push ups of my youth. Right. So how do, how do you make organizations work better? Um, and, and, and specifically, in, you, you focus in your book on, on change. You know, the listeners to this podcast, a lot of them are sole practitioners. A lot of are, are uh, owners of small firms. And there's, there's owners of larger firms, too. But all of them are working with a group of people, whether you're a sole practitioner or a small firm owner. Um, in order to do what we do as architects, we have to work with teams. Very few of us work all by ourselves. Even even a sole practitioner doing a small addition is still working with contractors and working with owners. Absolutely. And so you still have a team. And so in this point where we're building businesses, there's lots of opportunity for seeing a, an opportunity or we need to make a change in order to make things work better. Um, what are some of the things that we can do as business owners and entrepreneurs to sort of recognize those changes and then pr pursue them? Yeah, so let let me break this into uh, two parts. One of them is around the, the change question specifically, and then the other is, mm -hmm. so how do you go about involving people when there is change? Right. And um, for me, anytime that you have a team, what I learned early on was when you add a new member to a team, you now have a new team. So all the dynamics, all of the issues, all the roles and responsibilities, everything is actually changed as soon as you form a team or as soon as you add somebody to a team. So as an architect, when you're going out there, at, you know you may begin at the concept level um, on your own or with the client and yourself, but as you move forward with the plans, you're going to be bringing more people on board. And of course, you know, what you design has to be buildable and it has to take into account the budget and it has to take into account um, changing customer client desires, which of course none of your listeners probably have ever dealt with <laughs> yeah. a client who likes something to be different than they thought they would originally when yeah. things get a little more concrete. So any of these changes bring up the opportunity for how am I involving people and am I doing it well? And if I do it well, the hassle factor for me is literally lower. Life gets easier, um, but also the product of the work improves. So that as people come on board in the process and as there are changes in the process, what you find is um, things happen faster and better when you do a good job of involving people. And that's why in this book, you don't have to do it alone, how to involve others to get things done. It's something that you know your listeners will be able to use professionally, but they'll also be able to use it um, personally. 
So in this book, you know, we talked about uh, PTA groups and how do you involve people in, in things with kids and their projects at school or in community groups or church groups or anything that may be a personal aspect of their life, as well as professionally in the work that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So change is a huge part of, of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. Um, and, and, and often we look at change as something that's negative, that, that we're rolling along, we have this momentum and things are going the way we expect them to go. And then something happens and, right. and we're forced to make a change. And very often in my experience, I look back at those changes and connect the dots and realize that those changes were necessary to get to me, get in order to get me where I am today. Right. Um, and so, so um, when those changes come along, uh, what are some of the ways that we can identify whether this is a change that we should pursue or whether this is a change that we should sort of reject? Right. So um, one of the, the fail-safe ways that I know to decide is, is this a, a good path to go down is the role that stakeholders play in that process. And so I caution uh, clients that I work with about going it alone or the Lone Ranger or the John Wayne or whatever it is. It's like you're going to make the decision. The risk level is much higher the fewer people you talk to. So as you go about making a change, testing that with people and looking at different scenarios about, well, you know, how large a change does this need to be? Is it something that we're going to get a big return on? Then is it worth taking more risk? But as you talk to more stakeholders, and stakeholders can be whoever has a stake in the job that's being done, and also to think broadly beyond the usual suspects of who might be involved in this, and actually go and ask a few people who may not even be directly involved in what you're doing, um, but there may be zoning commissions or others who you know are you're going to have to be dealing with down the road. So even if you're making a change early in the process, I like to talk to clients about move further downstream in the process and bring those people on board early and often. And a lot of times people think, well, involving other people is, is going to take longer, right? I got to deal with all these different opinions and personalities and all of that. And my uh, experience with that has been that it's just not true, that involving people earlier in the beginning things may move more slowly. And when it comes time to implementation and decisions and moving forward, things move much more rapidly. People understand where you're headed. They understand why you're headed that way. Um, there's a saying in my field, people uh, own what they help create. What do you think uh, was missed by the Blue Hats or by the company where you started? And you had this experience at this lower level. You were this, this, you know, at the very bottom of the of the food chain. Yeah, pretty um, far towards the bottom. And and you had said that they sort of missed an opportunity by not involving you in the business and sort of making the decisions on where it pursued. What did that company miss by not talking to you? Well, I think there were a few things that they missed. One of them was sort of a just a basic level of commitment and care. So I literally was punching the clock. And this happens in organizations where, you know, for your architects, it's like, you know, am I there for the job or am I there to make a difference? And so at a very basic level, I was there to get paid, show up, 
and and do my work, but nothing beyond. So if I had ideas, if I had uh, ways that were going to be improvements to what was being done, uh, they never heard them and they never asked about them. So there's a commitment piece that I think gets lost. I think there's an innovation piece that gets lost because you know there are many minds can come up with um, a lot of creative ways to get the work done. So that's a second thing that I think gets in the way. And I also believe that um, there's a level of uh, partnership and teamwork that gets lost. And so handoffs between different people, which your listeners I know would be familiar with, um, a stronger team leads to less dropped balls, less misunderstandings, clearer communication, um, uh, known expectations. And when you have a really clear uh, set of expectations and a strong team, those handoffs get done in a way that works for you and it also works for your client. Yeah, very much so. We've we've talked about expectations in the past as a, as a you know, in, over and over again, it's a theme in successful businesses. Whenever we talk about any subject in business, expectation management is always part of that conversation. Can, can you walk us through sort of, an, sort of a scenario uh, and apply those five steps that you have in the book in, on that scenario so somebody can sort of understand step-by-step uh, step what you're talking about? Sure, so um, let's take a very basic scenario in which a client comes to you and says, I'd like to design this building, I am expanding my business, and it's a more complicated project that's going to involve um, a lot more people, and it's a big project. So um, for your business, so whatever that scope and scale may be for you, put it on the larger end. So the first thing that we talk about in this book is decide what kind of involvement is needed. So in a sense, we, in, we, we made this sort of like a back hip pocket book, one that you could just pull out. It's a relatively short book and it's chock full of tools. Um, this first chapter, we open up with a story about um, my first dog, uh, Theo was his name, and he had uh, he's a big black lab, and he had a habit of eating whole chickens off countertops, <laughs> which is not a good habit. You know those pre-cooked chickens you get in the store? Yep. Um, he actually, uh, there was one sitting on the counter, and there was a sound. My wife walked around the corner from the bedroom, and she looked, and that bottom part that's black, it was dry the entire chicken was gone. So there were some problems in our family and he was, uh, I was told either get rid of the dog, train the dog, or you and the dog can go. So given that challenge, we looked and we said, well, what kind of involvement is needed? So one kind we talked about was know-how. So there's literally knowledge and skills and some people you need on board because of their knowledge and skills. That they have things uh, that you don't. And so you need to reach out and bring them on board. And in a particularly large project, there may be aspects of that project that you haven't done before. So you put those people into a particular bucket. There's also arms and legs involvement. Now this may be work that you know how to do and that you can do, but you need more people to do it. So the know-how involvement with my dog Theo had to do with a trainer. They obviously knew more than I did about how to keep this dog off the countertops, and so I went to them for know-how involvement. Arms and legs involvement, as a consultant, I travel, and so I needed to actually get 
um, my kids on board to do this training and get more people involved that way. So in, in the architecture firm, maybe people that you brought on board either as uh, uh, partners in the project or they may be employees. Caring and commitment involvement was the third kind. And in my story, that had to do with um, the actual, uh, my wife, who's ready to get rid of the dog, caring enough about him and our family to bring him on board. Here, caring and commitment involvement in this project are your clients, your customers, and other people who care about the work that's being done. They have, they're invested in the product of this and that difference that's gonna be made is something that they have influence over. And then the third kind of involvement we talked about was teaching and learning. So with this dog, we actually needed to get the dog motivated to learn how to behave appropriately. In the work that your uh, listeners are doing, teaching and learning is, you know, what kind of mentoring relationships may they have? What kind of new skills might they put somebody on that's on their team to be able to learn new things and next time be capable of doing that work for them? So when they delegate that task, they can be confident that it's done well. So that sort of decide what kind of involvement is needed. Um, let me pause and, and ask if you have any questions about that first step of know what kind of involvement is needed before we move on to number two. No, I, I don't think so. I, so we need to know the, what type of involvement is in this change. So, so we need to know skills and knowledge. So we need to know what sort of what do we need to know and what don't we know. Um, arms and legs, who needs to be involved in this, in this uh, decision. Um, caring and commitment and or is caring and commitment part of arms and legs? No, no. Caring and commitment is somebody who um, may not have a direct stake in doing the work, but their interests need to be listened to and need to be tended to. Great. And then teaching and learning is the fourth piece. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and gusto. If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop, stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation, RCAT. RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. And start building better content today. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks 
have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free. Free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. To get started, visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll and benefits? Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay. It's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash Gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash Gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So once we know the kind of involvement, then you need to get to the specifics of who are you gonna include and who needs to be involved. So we talk about there are people with, uh, and I would suggest that your listeners literally put a uh, page down and put columns for each of these kinds of people and, and do an honest brainstorm and then ask people who end up on that list who else should be on that list. They, they're gonna do a better job by getting more people involved as I said earlier. And so rather than assuming they've got the answer, it's like, wait a minute, let me ask everybody that I've identified as a stakeholder to this, who else might be stakeholders? So for example, we talk about people with authority and responsibility in the, in the decision. So they are people who um, may have decision-making authority, whether that's um, uh, regulations people from the city or from the township or the zoning appeals board or whoever, but then think beyond that, who else might have authority and responsibility around the work that's getting done. Um, next, we talk about people with information and expertise. So are there people out there who have unique information, specific expert information in which you need to access that in order to make a good decision or to bring about a change successfully. Um, people who will be personally affected. 
that's another category, right? So they will feel the change. And, you know, people, uh, and again, people don't mind change as much, I think, as they mind being changed. So when I don't have a voice in what's happening, then I have more issue with it than when I do. So people who are personally affected need to be involved in making decisions and making changes. People with diverse points of view is another one that we look at. So who might think differently about this than I, right? And how can I get people with a diverse point of view? And the last one, which is my favorite, is people who are considered troublemakers. So. <laughs> Troublemakers are those people who you really don't want to hear from. You've worked with them before. It's been difficult. Uh, they don't listen well. Uh, they're not team players. You know, they get called a lot of things. And in the book, what we talked about was troublemaking is in the eye of the beholder. That if I have you be a troublemaker, you tend to cause trouble. If I have you be an indispensable member of the team who sees things differently than others, um, you tend to add value. And so troublemakers is another category that we encourage people to say, like, put them down, name them. You wouldn't necessarily go to them and introduce yourself and say, I was making this list and this guy, Jake, was on this podcast and you qualified as a troublemaker. So um, I'd like to talk to you. But you know who these people are. They're the ones who get under your skin. And those are equally important to somebody who has knowledge and expertise that you need to um, tap into to be successful in whatever change you're bringing about. Right. So in the first step, we're, we're deciding how much involvement is needed. And in the, in the second step is we're deciding who is going to be involved in helping us make this decision. So we're basically building a, an advisory team in order yep. to get to this point of making this decision. Exactly. And, and when you think of building that team, you're the team leader. So how you decide to build that team is the next step in the process because you sort of know who your players are, you know what their positions are in terms of their roles with the know-how, arms and legs and so forth. So now becomes the all-important step of actually getting them to join your team. So that's the third step is to yeah, is to is step. to build the team. Yeah. So the third step we talk about is create your invitation, right? And invitations are interesting because. Um, the more specific and personal they are, the more willing people are to get involved and the better attitude they have when they get involved. So when you get a list of people who you're going to invite, first thing, what are their needs, interests, and concerns? Come from their point of view, not yours, right? What is it that we can learn and know about? And if they're individual people and you know these people, what is it that they care about? What's their investment in this project? And then you talk about what's a unique message for each person. So what is it that I need to say? What is it that they, that I, information I need to have available so that they can get the right context, so they can get the right perspective? Um, what is it that's unique to that individual? And then how do you make it a more personal invitation than generic? So however you have brought people on board to teams in the past, challenge yourself to think differently and say, well, what might it be? One of the uh, clients that I had actually invited everybody out to dinner that was going to form a team. It was different. It was a work environment, but they said, no, no, we want to break bread. And breaking bread is something that um, 
is going to change the dynamic of the conversations we have. And then they talked about at this very first meeting, what is it that drives you crazy about working with other people? What are some of your worst experiences on teams and how can we avoid them this time around? So they literally had these people joining a team, bringing their own experiences and saying, I'm going to listen to you from the get go and how we do this. We're going to prevent, uh, as manufacturing clients of mine have said, prevent rather than find and fix. So we're going to brainstorm. Even I've had clients do what's called a sabotage brainstorm, which your listeners might be interested in. It's again, what are all the different things we could do to really screw this project up? and get a list of those because now they become socially unacceptable to do those. So you may have, you know, uh, making assumptions about expectations, which we mentioned earlier. It's like, well, once you know that you could screw the project up that way, you're less likely to make that assumption. You're more likely to check with somebody and say, is this what you're expecting in the handoff? Is this the product? Is this the quality? Is this the timing? Whatever those things might be, you're going to check those rather than making that assumption because you've done that sabotage brainstorm. Yeah, that's very interesting because in the scenario that you posted at the very beginning, posed at the very beginning of, of this, these steps of having this new project come on board that's a little bit bigger than you've ever had, something maybe it's a little bit different than you've ever had. And so now you're going through this, this process of deciding how much involvement's needed to make this project happen, how much, uh, who needs to be on that team, and then inviting those people to be part of your team. So if you look at it in terms of a, a scenario of what, who that team is and the invitation, maybe the general contractors on that team, maybe your consultants are on that team, maybe the, 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 um, the people who are running their, your, your BIM stations are on that team. And going through this process that Jake's talking about, um, maybe, maybe you're not going out and, and having dinner with them, but you're having this intimate conversation, this conversation that's not typically had um, so you can avoid those situations later on down the road because this is a complicated project, something you haven't done before. What's going to make that even more complicated is those inevitable crises that happen in every project, right? So if you've done this sabotage work with your general contractor and your advisors, when those things inevitably happen, now you have a way to handle those things rather than the contractor pointing their finger at you as the architect and says, oh, it's her fault. It's his fault. fault. Now you're a team member. Now that we've gone through that process, the contractor knows how to handle that process with you. So you can have those conversations before they turn into big crises. So very, very interesting. And, and Mark, one thing I would add to that, and this is something that people sometimes are uncomfortable to talk about. And I think because of that reason, it's even more important, which is looking at fears and concerns mm. that people have. Everybody likes to talk about what success is going to look like and how are we going to do this well and sort of make sure that everybody feels good about things. There are underlying fears and concerns that everybody has about a project that they're joining. And so making it okay to raise those and let people know that you're going to care for them. Um, they have had bad experiences in the past. You knowing what those are is going to both build the team in the sense that they're going to trust you more, but also you'll be able to avoid those problems and learn from them rather than repeating them. Yeah. Actually, we just had a conversation on in our Facebook community, a, a, a similar situation where a contractor was undermining an architect who she had brought on to the team uh, sort of as a preliminary estimator. Um, and that contractor started undermining her even before the project started. 
that he was she was pushing her to get this project started and making her look bad in front of the client. I um, mean, she was looking for advice, and that was exactly what my suggestion was: is go out and have a cup of coffee with this contractor and find out what his problem is. You know, what? Why is he doing that? You know, where? What is hit? What does he need to happen uh, in order for him to be successful? What are the things that he's afraid of is going to happen if you don't have this con- if 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 you don't do what he wants you to do? And then once everybody sort of puts their their, their fears and their problems on the plate, then you can openly have a conversation about coming together as a team to solve those problems and then go back to the contract, to the owner and as a united front and get as this project team. done. Right. right, which leads us to our fourth step, right? So our fourth step is once you've uh, invited these people, they've joined your team, then the question is how do you keep them involved? And I'm not gonna say keep them involved. Obviously you've got contracts and agreements and they're not going anywhere. They're gonna get paid and all of that. But how do you keep them involved with the spirit that we're in this together, this is gonna work? How do you keep them involved in a way that you don't end up with that conversation that you had on the Facebook group, right? So um, we, one of the things that that I believe is really important is remind people why did they get involved in the first place? And why did they get involved more than just to get a paycheck? But what was it about this project that really enticed them? What was it about the people or working with you that they really looked forward to? And is that something that's still in place? Because if it's not, you wanna go back and figure out how to put it in place. Um, Keep people informed about needing their involvement over time. A lot of situations, we forget to thank people along the way. And actually pausing and doing um, a a review midway through the project, not just are we on time, are we meeting milestones, is the work getting done, but what's it like working with each other? What are the things that somebody's done that you really appreciate that it made a difference for you and you being able to do your best job and make your your best contribution. Um, Another thing is stay open to who is involved. So as you're moving through a project, there may be a need to reach out uh, and bring other people on board. um, And some team members may choose to opt out. And you know what, that's okay, because if they don't wanna be there, you don't want them there either. So who might need to get on board to be able to fill that slot is another question, but keeping people involved beyond the contract, but in a way where you've got the spirit of the team is alive and well, that's another thing to pay attention to as you're working through a project. Yeah, I think appreciation and gratitude is such a powerful tool. It's something that we very often overlook because maybe the project's moving along pretty smoothly and you know, there's no real problems and, and there's no reason, quote unquote, to thank someone. But when you thank someone in a, in a, in a regular, you know, a true, genuine way and say thank you and use those words, we appreciate you and, and, and there's gratitude for what you're doing, people will work harder for you. People will, will look out for you. They'll watch your back because they recognize that you appreciate them. Um, that's something that whether it's part of this change process or whether it's just running your firm, saying thank you to the people involved in getting you where you want to go uh, is such an important piece of success. 
Yeah, and the more specific you can be in expressing that gratitude, the better it's going to be. And the closer in time that you can express it to that action or choice or decision that they made, the more meaningful it's going to be. So giving a generic thank you to everybody is nuts, but knowing specifically what was it that that person contributed and how soon after that contribution can you let them know that you know the difference that it made that's something that they'll remember. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you can make it genuine, right? That that when it's specific, and it's and it's true, then it comes off, and then it's genuine. If you just go to say, if you you know, your checkbox today, you know, your 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 to do list is to go thank everybody. That's not right. going to be very effective. But if you actually have a reason to thank them, and you do, because these people are working to get you to a certain level, to get specifically for this project, to get this project accomplished in a successful way. Um, then there's lots of reasons to thank people. Um, yep. So keep them involved is number four. Yep. So what's our and fifth step? The, the last, the fifth and last step is finish the job well. And finish the job well is um, making sure that there aren't loose ends, making sure that whatever handover you have as the architect in the project is done well. Um, one of the ways that you can tell that you've finished a job well is people want to be involved with you the next time that they're motivated that it's been a positive experience and um, they're better prepared to do this well the next time because you've built your team and that's the kind of team that the best teams that we've been on we want to join them again we want to see what we can do for the next customer the next client and what did we learn this time through that we want to remember next time as do's and don'ts. And so actually taking the time to do, the the Army calls them after action reviews. And that's where we learned about them, but actually pausing and saying, how did we do on this? What did we do really well? What do we want to do better next time? That kind of finish the job well is more than just packing up your materials and saying, okay, we got paid by the client, it's time to move on, but finishing it in a way that people are going to want to join the next time is as critical as any of these other steps. Yeah. And and that needs to be something that's very intentional. It needs to be part of your process because that is something that's very often overlooked because the next job is coming down the line, right? There's the next priority that's pushing you to get this one wrapped up so you can start the next one because, you know, the, the your, all your invoices are out and you're not going to make any more money on this job. So you're on to the next one that's going to make you the money and you forget this last process. Of, of finishing the job, going through the process of wrapping up all the loose ends, making sure the team is fulfilled, making sure the client's fulfilled, making sure the project is is 100%. And you go through the process of making sure that the, the, the stakeholders can see the results of their hard work, right? That, that needs to be part of this wrapped up pro- process. Yeah, and the more time that you invest, this is a paradox, but the more time you invest in wrapping it up well, the better people's experience of the whole project will be 100% right so when you leave those loose ends and people feel a little frantic and you know your job may be done but your job isn't just what you're doing as an architect your job is managing this process in a way that people are going to want to be involved again and are motivated to be part of your team and when they go out and they talk to people in the marketplace what they have to say about you is positive and it becomes a calling card for you to have it end well in a way that then you can move through these steps again on the next project. 
Yeah, yeah. All these steps are in in Jake's book. You don't have to do it alone. Um, the steps are the five steps. In sort of the, my interpretation of them is sort of decide who, how much involvement is needed, uh, who needs to be involved, the invitation to those people who are going to be involved, keep them involved, and keep them actively part of the project, and then finish the job well. Or those five steps. Um, they're all documented in the book. Um, we'll have the, the book, a link to the book on Amazon uh, on our show notes. It's available everywhere books are sold. You don't have to do it alone. Robert Jake Jacobs is Jake's name and the author of the book. Um, this has been super interesting, Jake. Uh, is there anything else in that process that we should be aware of as we, as we wrap things up? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the most important things that you have when you're involving people is the spirit that you bring to the project. And there are times in every project where it's frustrating, where it's difficult, where it's trying, and I call those moments of truth. So when it's going well and it's easy, it is not difficult to keep a positive attitude. Yeah. I mean, why not? But it's those trying times and it's a question of how do you choose to react in those times when it's difficult and when it's problematic. And so for me, the spirit that you provide as a team leader for the group that you're working with, and you don't have to be the formal leader of the team. It doesn't matter what your role is, you can provide leadership to that team. And so the spirit that you bring to it about positivity, I've been reading some books about um, positive uh, mental awareness and, uh, and outcomes orientation. And there's brain research, there's scientific research, there's there's uh, project research. All of it says that the mindset that you take to the work you do has a profound impact for you and others on the level of success that you have. And so keeping that positive outlook is, I think, really important. And I, I've just been, as I said, reading a few books myself on that. Uh, and, and I would encourage folks listening to this to really challenge themselves to say, how do I handle it when things are bumpy? And what can I do to make my life and others easier? And that that, you know, you can follow these steps, but if you do it without that spirit, then I think you're really cheating yourselves and the rest of the members of your team. Yeah, I think what you just said, Jake, is could be life changing for people. When when you shift your your mindset from one of finding fault to one of, of positivity and moving forward, um, everything in your life changes, whether it's your business or whether it's your family life or whether it's affecting and influencing other people around you. Uh, your positive positive mental influence uh, on the people around you can change the way they think. And they you become an example of the way they want to be. And then they change. And then they become an example of the way that someone else, and that chain goes on and on and on. That idea, that concept of thinking positively and being a positive, active member of our society can literally change the world if we all take that that point of view. All these problems that we're having in the world if the whole world started thinking differently, a lot of these problems would just evaporate because of the way we are all thinking. Um, one of the things I end up, I, I end up every pos uh, of this podcast, uh, Jake, is I use the, the three words, love, learn, share, to remind people of what they should be doing in the world. It's my mantra, it's the thing that I try to live by. 
Um, yeah. and, and love is, is about caring for one another, about being positive. It's about looking for ways to make other people's lives better, right? And then, and then learn is to learn as much information as we can possibly learn, which is why I do this podcast, is to learn for myself, to learn as much as I can, and to share that knowledge uh, with others. And the third piece is to share it, is once you've gathered all this information in your head and you know all this, you need to give, give it away. You need to get it to the other people who need it. And then that becomes an example of what those people should be doing. And that just goes on and on and on and on and on. And so, and it's real easy to remember, love, learn, share. Uh, it's a great way to sort of remind people of, of how to get to the next level. And, and I, what your podcast listeners can't see is me smiling and not <laughs> as you're describing all of this. And uh, I, I knew there was a reason um, that you reached out and that we connected around this. I think that that is a great mantra. Uh, I'll put it in my list of things to pay attention to each day as well, because I, I do believe, as you do, that the ripple effect of me in the world, whether it's with my family and friends or whether it's in a professional environment, how I show up has everything to do with my experience in the world. Yeah, 100 percent. 100%. I, I, uh, I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. Before we wrap up, I want to ask the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, so I think there is a simple saying that I follow and encourage my clients to follow, which is be in your future now. And what I mean by that is that rather than talking about planning or even envisioning some future for yourself that's better than where you are today, do that and then ask the question, what is it that I can do right here, right now to start realizing that vision, that future, those outcomes that I want? So not to wait, don't think about it as something that you're separated from, but really, how do I begin living thinking and acting as if the future were now for me in my work and in my life. Yeah, very, very good advice. I think architects, many architects uh, are dreamers. You know, that we, we are constantly, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm constantly living in my future. Even as a child, I would look to see what my future would be and I would end up living there in my head. I would be thinking about it all the time about what I'm going to do in the future. I still do it today and I need to be more active and more present and I very, very intentionally focused on trying to live my day every day. Um, and that is very good advice that, yes, it's important to dream. It's important to dream really big, but you can't live in those dreams. You need to live today and pursue those dreams through the things that you do at this very moment and the things that you, you do today will get you to the dream that you're supposed to be, be achieving. Absolutely. So uh, his name is Robert Jake Jacobs. You don't have to do it alone. What's the subtitle again, Jake? Uh, how to involve others in getting things done. All right. We will have um, that a link to that book on our show notes. This is episode 309. So the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 309. If you want to learn more about Jake and what he does, his website is realtimestrategicchange.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes as well. You can find him on Facebook, Real Time Strategic Change, uh, on Twitter, at Jake Jacobs. And on LinkedIn, Robert Jake Jacobs. Jake, this has been a uh, a great conversation. I think that you and I are very much on the same same wavelength. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you.
You've been listening to episode 309 with Robert Jake Jacobs. If you enjoyed this episode and you found some value in it, I ask you to share it. I ask you to share this episode. Share this link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 309 to all your friends on social media. Send them an email. Tap your friend on the shoulder around the corner. Say, hey, this was a great episode of Entree Architect Podcast. And this is the link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 309. Pop that into your browser and go listen. That's what you need to do. And I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's what I would love for you to do. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 309. Go share a link. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for listening each and every week. Thank you for spreading the word. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a fantastic week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a 
possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.